This is the Earth Regenerators Podcast. a little bit about yourself and your background yeah we're just on the pathway to planetary regeneration in whatever form that takes so uh, that journey has led me here to Barichara on invitation of Joe Brewer who's been the lead instigator of the earth regenerators which is an online community that has evolved and developed around the book that he wrote called the pathway the design pathway for earth regeneration which is a really interesting book it's 26 chapters. Um, it's online. I recommend that everybody take a look because it provides a holistic narrative of kind of how we've got here and, and where do we need to go as we uh, awaken to our calling as a as a planetary species to come into uh, reunion with with Gaia, our, our home planet. Cool. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, regenerative finance uh, applied to the. Um the blockchain crypto sphere. Yeah, yeah, and and refi is a regenerative finance squished into refi is is a playoff of defi which expanded as decentralized finance. And decentralized finance is a blockchain primitive where you can take all of the functionality of a bank and turn it into software code that is uh, immutable so that you can be doing your lending, you can be doing your um, your trading and, and all of these really simple tools that, that normally a very large, heavy bank would do is now in the hands of anybody who wants to create their own bank. And if there's a community, both digitally or, or physically, can take these tools, these DeFi tools, and with the intention of saying, we want to use these financial tools to regenerate natural capital. Uh, let's just take a step back. Uh, so, what is blockchain and crypto? Just uh, give the yeah. Blockchain is general... blockchain is just um, a, a a word to describe a database, a decentralized database. So, normally, um, how internet infrastructure has worked is, Web one was you had a server uh, that you were hosting yourself. Uh, Web two was you don't need to host a server anymore. There's a third party provider that will say we can run your your apps in a cloud. Uh, and then Web three is we don't want to have a centralized cloud like Google or Amazon. Uh, instead, we can be having a peer-to-peer -peer network where the people who are participating in the network are also supporting the, the, the data security as well as participating in adding new transactions to the chain of blocks. And, and a block is, is, is a container that you can put transactions, information, metadata into that gets stored and it's easily accessible to see the information. However, it's expensive to add information. So you have this... Uh, this Wait, before we go into too much detail, so basically a blockchain is a ledger. So yes. I think that, that's a level that a lot of people are probably at. I don't so, even think people know what a ledger is. Okay, ledger is just something that you write. <laughs> so it's like a piece of paper where you write notes on all the It's not a stone tablet? Is it a stone? <laughs> I, how immutable is it? Right, so we have been trying to keep track of everything since the dawn of, of history, right? Mm -hmm. So we're kind of like, prehistory is like pre-recorded information. 
Now, if, if there were scrolls, if there were tablets, if, you know, all of these things get lost to time, now we're in this, you know, digital futuristic age of, of information. We're in the information age. So, unfortunately, the Web 2 model, which was, it, somebody's got to pay for the servers, so that's where the advertising revenue comes in. That's where the subscriptions come in. So there's all of these um, business models that weren't necessarily regenerative. They're actually degenerative. And we can look at Facebook as a great example of how the need to constantly be creating engagement, the need to constantly be uh, driving ad revenue created this dystopian, dysfunctional human social network. So, so yeah, so let's talk about the difference of the ledger, different types of ledgers. So because a blockchain is a certain type of ledger. How is that a ledger on the internet different than a ledger on the blockchain? Yeah. Uh, so a blockchain is is a distributed ledger. So if you want to run a node, a node means you're downloading the entire transaction history of the blockchain. So you have a local copy of all the transactions that were ever made on that blockchain. So and there's different types of blockchains, um, different type of consensus mechanisms where how how does every node on the network agree in real time and sync up with all of those new transactions? So Bitcoin, which is the original blockchain is proof of work, but as that network grew, so did the work required to process those transactions. So now Bitcoin is at a point where it's it's very expensive to run, um, and it also becomes uh, difficult to maintain decentralization, and then there's, you know, different attack vectors. So one attack vector would wait, be... Wait, wait, let's just start, slow down a little bit here. So, so the difference between a ledger on the internet is that and one on the blockchain is that on the blockchain, um, anyone can actually, uh, so it's actually, it's not held by one centralized server. It's actually something that's decentralizedly held. And so multiple people can actually, um, I guess, add to it and then, and then verify it. So it's very different. Did you want to just go a little yeah, bit, just so the basic and, and a little less jargon. So what's the difference between a ledger on the internet and a ledger on the, um, on the blockchain? Right, so if you say a ledger on the internet, I think what you're referring to is some type of centralized database um, where you have an admin who mm -hmm. can read and write. Uh, maybe there's there's a master master admin, and they can, if they want to, they could uh, censor your content. So Twitter is a great example where you know Donald Trump getting blocked. That was a, a situation of an internet ledger where somebody had the master access to say, no, we're we're shutting you down. So on a blockchain, you can't censor transactions. So there's censorship resistance. There is permissionlessness, meaning anybody can write to the blockchain. If I want to send a transaction from North Korea to to Iran, that's possible. Mm. Under um, now, you you may potentially violate some U.S. Uh, banking and Patriot Act laws, but the kind of epiphany here is that we're trans transcending the nation-state dynamic into a integrated global public whole, if that makes any sense. Cool. And then Web 2 refers to the internet ledger type ledger, and Web 3 refers to the blockchain-like ledger? Yeah, so Web 1 is uh, a server in your closet. Web 2 is now you're paying Amazon to host a server in their closet. And now Web 3 is everyone has a node running in their closet. Hmm. And then... Okay, so then let's get to the back to the decentralized finance. So, so in general, I mean, we have different coins that are building on this blockchain, like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And how is that 
How, how do you distinguish that, these coins and dis decentralized finance? Yes, um, so decentralized finance is a set of smart contracts. And what a smart contract is, is it's software code that, um, similar to like traditional law, where if you say, it's logic, it's, it's logic. If this, then that. So DeFi is a set of, it's a, it's a toolkit for Ethereum is, is kind of the easiest example. Um, where Ethereum was built as a, a general purpose global computer. So if anybody wanted to be running finance uh, applications, they could write in smart contracts um, what they wanted to do. So for example, an auction system, a voting system, um, running, running a, the back end of a bank. So DeFi as, as, a, as a toolkit uh, running on a, a open um, blockchain like Ethereum is basically giving everybody the power of, of a central bank in their pocket. And do you want to say a little bit uh, the difference between um, a, a contract in the internet world, um, in the Web 2 world, and a contract, which is now called a smart contract, in the Web 3 on the blockchain world? Right. So, <clears throat> so traditionally in a Web 2 situation, uh, you are running and hosting your app. I mean, it's still software code, right? You're still writing software to run an application that um, if, if there's somebody who is wanting to, for example, you, you want to check um, Instagram, right? You're making a, a call to access that information. And uh, hopefully the system's up. If it's not, then you don't get access to your information. So in a, in a Web3 world, if you are running a node, and a node is just the, the history of the local of the blockchain, you can access that information and, and be pretty sure that that in, information is, is accurate. Does cool. that answer the question? Yeah. And, uh, and, and then, okay, so then you're saying that we build on decentralized finance or DeFi for mm -hmm. short to create this regenerative finance. Right. So you want to say a little bit about, yeah, that now, yeah. regenerative finance. Yeah, so regenerative <clears throat> finance is how do we finance regeneration? Mm -hmm because why, why can't we do it with dollars? Like why hasn't, why hasn't like, and it's kind of counterintuitive, but the more dollars you add into the equation, actually the more degenerative the system becomes because baked into the dollar, uh, and, and this is like fiat currencies in general, is it's debt-based. So you're always having to pay back. And the, I mean, I'm, the sacred economics, Charles Eisenstein, he goes into detail about the degenerative nature of debt-based um, uh, finance. So with regenerative finance, financing regeneration, we have to create new types of currency systems that are based off of other types of capital. So the dollar is based off of a very large military, um, petroleum, and uh, a market economy where everybody has to constantly be contributing and participating. So we've gotten so deep into this industrialized world built around these debt-based systems and to keep on feeding the debt, we have to consume more of nature in both physical nature, but also the nature within ourselves. And that's why it's like people feel like their soul has been sucked working for some office corporate job. So financing regeneration is both how do we create forms of value that is representative of ecological processes. So, for example, what is the value of the river flowing behind us? Which is really difficult to try and calculate. Um, but maybe it's not an individual drop of water. Maybe it's, it's the flow. 
So this is a very exciting and brand new field that's um, evolving because of DeFi, because of decentralized finance and um, having the power of banking tools. We could create a community currency. Uh, we could have um, a, a land title system. So right now, for example, we'll just use the example of land titles. So it's a very opaque system. There's a lot of corruption involved versus if you had each land title on an open database uh, that was verified and secured by a network of community members. And by community members, I mean people who are physically in the community, but also who are running, running nodes processing those transactions. That is one example. Um, what refi means today is basically uh, the carbon market going on chain. And that's a that's kind of taking the uh, trying to Can take you explain the word on chain on chain. Yes. So on chain means that a transaction has been added to the blockchain. So you can go for however long that blockchain exists, however long people are using that blockchain and maintaining the blockchain running miners or staking validators. You can access that information. It's on chain. It's immutable. It's like uh, stone tablets. Like that's the the equivalent. So if, if there's a carbon market um, that's running on chain, it's going to be more transparent. It's going to be um, and and with transparency, you have a much more functional market. If that makes sense. Because so why would it be more transparent on uh, to put something on a internet ledger as opposed to a um blockchain ledger yeah so internet so web 2 means there's somebody how do you know that there isn't some admin who just played around with the numbers who went in who has the backdoor password to go and change or something happens where maybe they didn't pay their aws bill and then the whole website goes down so the the benefit of running a, a marketplace on a blockchain is that everybody can see everybody has symmetrical information everybody has the same information so that people can make more informed decisions on how they want to interact and participate. So how do we know the price of that carbon credit is actually that price? If you're in a rigged market and somebody is saying, pushing up the price or pushing down the price because they're manipulating information that they only have access to, that creates um, the dysfunctional market dynamics. So by having uh, an open, permissionless, censorship resistant, um, community owned and operated sovereign blockchain, is going to create a, a more efficient market. But even if the market is efficient, it doesn't mean it's effective. And that's where we're kind of running into some friction with the carbon marketplace is that, is carbon credits gonna get us to where we wanna go? Mm. I think it's a good start. It's gonna kickstart a lot of, um, it's gonna bring more funding, more more talent, more resources toward, towards the space. But where we're going long-term, 10, 20 years from now, we're gonna have a whole different economic system based off of ecological value systems. I think it'd be interesting to look a little more closely at certain examples of a refi things. So like Neil Spackman was doing a certain refi project. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I was briefly involved at the beginning um, during the ideation phase, but simply put um, an NFT, uh, and this is like a buzzword that everybody's heard, a uh, non-fungible token, which is a horrible name to give to something this important, but basically it represents a, a verifiably rare digital item. Now, Neil's uh, mangrove project, the idea was to use NFTs. An NFT is like, you can, you can say, okay, we have this digital artwork, um, 
and that digital artwork is going to represent a physically planted mangrove forest. So you can sell that digital artwork and that is a fundraising mechanism to bring resources to finance the regeneration of those mangrove ecosystems. And whoever owns that NFT, whoever has that, that digital token inside of their digital wallet may have some future access. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's access to an online group, maybe it's access to a community, it's access to a tour, it's access to information. So we, it's basically, we have a lot, we have higher definition for how we can create these interactive, um, interactive experiences to bring people into regeneration from just, I'm using my credit card, swipe, and then that's it. Because what the NFT represents, it's, um, it's, uh, it's interactive with the entire blockchain ecosystem, if that makes any sense. So what would be the difference, say, so, okay, so Neil is trying to get a lot of people to support the planting of all these mangrove trees um, that help the marshes. So what's the difference between he just giving you a certificate, so you just pay in cash and you get a certificate that says you supported this many mangrove trees being planted, as opposed to you giving crypto and then getting an NFT. So what would be the difference? Yeah, I think the difference is that the NFT has a lot more functionality built into it. Um, it's... So the, the difference between an open blockchain and an internet ledger web 2 is that the company running that database, they're the ones that have access to that information. Now they can create an API, which is, which is basically a window. If you want to develop an application on top of their database, you can use the application programming interface. But with the blockchain, it's totally different. So everybody can see the information stored on that blockchain. So let's say somebody bought an NFT for the mangrove project. Well, you could potentially um, engage with that person, that user, to participate in future regenerative finance projects. So it almost becomes like a, a virtual pass into a, a new community. And, and let me see if I can refine this a little bit. Who are the regenerators? Like, who are the people out there who are participating in regenerative efforts? So the more refi nfts you buy you are actually building up social capital because people can see oh wallet this wallet has all of these has participated in all these events so it's it's also a social signaling and i'm trying to figure out like a really good way to explain the 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 interoperability of blockchains because it's like you have um you're building a building and there is not necessarily any blueprint but there is a decentralized group of people who want to participate. So you're, you're almost like building this building without a blueprint, but because everybody is participating in ways that they want to, it emerges, the building emerges. So think of a blockchain as an emergent, um, emergent property of intelligent systems. Well, just to go back to that point where you can actually display which uh, projects. So let's say there's multiple projects. There's a project, river restoration project. There's a you know mountain replanting project. You could get NFTs from these different <clears throat> projects, and you could display them in a way. And so it you, it's almost like a portfolio, which can actually signal to other people which projects. Just say you're very good at picking projects to support, and over the years, you know the projects you pick actually really. So see, other people may look at your portfolio and say, hey, those are good 
you know, projects to invest in if we if we want to make an impact in regenerative worlds. So mm -hmm. that could be one example. Of yes, yes. So, okay, so here's a great example. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, uh, NFT marketplace. Mm -hmm. So we're in this, like, we're, we're oversaturated with information and discoverability is now um, a really important factor. So if there's a, a marketplace, an NFT marketplace, where you can find projects that are looking for financing, regenerative projects that, that need, I mean, financing, yes, money in, in an aspect of, okay, we need like some dollars to buy some physical materials to build this, um, this garden, for example, or this, we need to pay people to, to plant mangrove trees. With the NFT marketplace, you open up a lot more functionality in terms of how people can engage with, with these initiatives versus think of like eBay, right? So eBay or um, even Amazon Marketplace. These are all centrally controlled entities. Um, they can censor, they can um, rent, seek, meaning if, if you're paying, uh, buying something on Amazon, you're probably having to pay a fee to Amazon in some indirect way. So that's another big like topic in the blockchain world is how to disincentivize rent seeking. <laughs> Can you explain? I, I didn't totally follow. So you want okay. to explain a little bit more? So rent seeking is basically um, you're not doing work, but you're collecting a paycheck. Mm -hmm. So and that creates a dysfunctional um, system, a, a bloated system. So how do you create a really lean information network where the work is actually rewarded? And, and when I say work, I'm talking about uh, maintaining that that decentralized ledger and also, how do we actually engage, I mean, this is taking a step back from just blockchain in general, but how do we actually engage people to participate in service and gift giving into the regeneration of ecosystems? So that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother discussion versus um, like, where's the information store? I think it's like, it, it is the same conversation, but it's told in different, different words and different contexts and different, different um, narratives. But I think the opportunity with refi is that we can bridge those two worlds together where you doing your work and in, in, in participating in your passion can also be a livelihood. And I think that's kind of where we have to get to. However, we're still navigating our way out of, you know, this uh, nine to five workspace mortgage, 30 year mortgage. So a lot of people want to be doing full-time regeneration. It's just really difficult. How do you how do you support yourself? So if you're making a livelihood using this blockchain, where is that money coming from, or the money for the crypto coming from that's supporting them? It's coming from attention and awareness. I think what a blockchain just represents is some type of financialized awareness mechanism. Mm. So the price of Bitcoin is dependent on how many people are paying attention to it. What are people's perceived value of 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 that network? And yes, it is, you know, it can be pumped and dumped. Um, and that is, you know, very much a, a function of the speculative nature of traditional finance markets. However, as we step into more financing of regeneration, regenerative economics, it is how do we make sure that everybody has enough, but not yeah. taken over by greed? Well, it's an investment vehicle for money. And traditionally, if we want to say, re Re reforest something. You'd have a non-profit and you'd give the money to the non-profit and the non-profit would do the work. 
Now you give it to this NFT, this crypto token, and uh, and but that crypto token is is not run with this top-down nonprofit organization. Actually, it has a whole different structure, and it's also programmable. And it kind of you can actually program in all sorts of ways that maybe wasn't there even there initially. And so it actually allows a lot of flexibility. So you could program it, you know, for like this badge system that gives certain things. But you, could, but it's also programmable. Um, I mean, maybe it's a it's a cog in another engine to do something very yes. interesting. And so it, it, it becomes a whole and, and there's these things called decentralized autonomous organizations where the crypto is organized by a loosely, you know, non-hierarchical group of people. And so there's ways that these NFTs could then also be governed in different ways by these communities. Exactly. And so because it's a program, it's now you can plug and play into all sorts of other programs. So it's mm -hmm. a lot more than just and it's also a lot more than, say, you're buying the mangroves, say, for, for the Neil Spackman's project, and you just get a certificate, like a handwritten certificate or a hand, you know, printed certificate. That certificate isn't programmable, so it's not pluggable into other functionalities. Right. And then even once those mangroves are planted, how does the community engage with that ecosystem? Because, okay, you plant the mango trees, but the mango, the mangroves, mangoes as well. Um, what's to keep somebody from, you know, 10 years later cutting it all back down again to make some, some dollars? So then now we're in the, the, the discussion of how do we design regenerative cultures because it was a degenerative culture that, that destroyed those ecosystems in the first place. So we're coming from a very long history of separation. Um, now what the blockchain kind of, you know, the blockchain, it's, it's, it's an ecosystem of blockchains. It's an internet of blockchains. What this represents is more of a coming back to reunion because now the information is liberated. The information is, is not, we're not kept in the dark anymore. We have access to the light. So I think that's kind of like the biggest story here is the access to information is actually part of planetary liberation and enlightenment. And the NFT can actually is interesting in that it can actually, uh, if, you, if you do chop down the mangroves in five years time, that can actually be programmed into the NFT. So the NFT could be hooked up to an oracle. An oracle is something that um, from the outside the oracle world... oracle of Delphi? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's basically an information from the outside world that gets, comes into the crypto. And so you could, and so if, if, if say the mangroves were destroyed, it actually may create some, may set off some program in the NFT, say. Yes. That then gets activated. Yeah. That maybe it's like then activates this whole other organization to yeah, response repro system. replant, yeah, so yeah. it can actually set off a chain of events. And so you can kind of build in this resilient network into the NFT itself that sets off, you know, kind of like the immune cell sets off chain of responses in the human yeah. body. The NFT could be a programmed immune system that something happens, you know, other... Exactly, yeah, so, so the planet Earth, Gaia, is evolving uh, a more complex system of regulation. And then this is where it goes into the Gaia, Gaia theory, Gaia hypothesis, where the, the Earth is, is self-regulating. Mm -hmm. There's a, a self-reflexive consciousness that's helping it to evolve depending on the environment on, on the surface. So I think there's a lot going on here below the surface where we can talk about NFTs, we can talk about blockchains. But I think if we zoom way out, what we're seeing here is a evolution of consciousness, both at the individual level, but taken at the larger scale is planetary awakening. Mm. So Gaia is a conscious entity experiencing herself through each and every one of us. And 
maybe this moment in time is a invitation to express our most authentic self. Mm. And I think blockchain is a tool of expression, um, similar as, you know, the, the internet has, it, if we look at the history of the internet, it's happened so quickly, so fast, and so few people are aware of the underpinnings that now is really important to bring more people up to speed, but it's not like the, the, the only way to bring people in is to attract. And maybe the, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're coming off of a pretty degenerate pump cycle. And I think a lot of people have been turned off. What refi can represent is bringing people back into the beauty of what regeneration could be. Mm. I just want to throw up another example that I, that occurred to me as we're talking like in a local area you want to regenerate there's many things that need to be regenerated you need to regenerate the soil the trees the water system build the local economy so you could have as you get so in in the certain board games you know you collect certain cards and then you kind of build up like in monopoly you build up different sets and it gets more powerful so you might want to have these different nft sets for say the water restoration in the area the local economy in an area the certain trees and certain biodiversity. So if you can build up the set of NFTs, then your system is a lot healthier. And so it may, it may alert others like, okay, so we build up the soil, but we haven't built up the water. And so then we can alert others, hey, we actually want more investment in this mm -hmm. water realm or yes. something. And so you could actually, this could be programmable too for each local environment. Like this is yes. what we need to do. Yes. Um, and yeah, so that's a, that's a great point because um, a lot of, there's been a lot of discussion around stable coins. And stablecoin is is traditionally like oh we're gonna we're gonna have one digital coin represent one physical dollar, but how do you keep that? How do you know that that's that digital token is actually worth one dollar? And then taking a step back, it's like well that dollar, the government's printing a lot of money, so how stable is that dollar? And is that dollar stable because it's degenerating our our ecosystems? So now it's like well what is a stablecoin? What is stable? So we want to stabilize the ecosystems. We want to come to some homeostasis in the water cycle and the carbon cycle. So then you can get a little creative and say, well, what if we wanted a basket of currencies? And, and the basket of currencies is actually representation representation of ecosystem health. Mm. So there's a lot of um, design space and that's what's so exciting is we're just, we're, at, we're still at day one right. in, in terms of what's possible. And, you know, as, as, as much as we've <clears throat> tried to push the boundaries, we can only go so fast and blockchain is such a nascent you know, young technology that we're just now getting to the point where we can actually do more creative things outside of the digital world, bring it into the physical world. And it's just going to require a little bit more critical mass of people who are comfortable using these new digital tools to help us coordinate our physical actions and and, 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 and meet space. Right. Yeah. Just to throw out another idea, like, so just say a company comes into a town, the town's trying to figure out, is it really good for its, the town, the community and the eco area? to have this company and so because no one really knows you could actually tie incentive structures to to the amount of regeneration that's happening so if you know if you have an set up an oracle and says the water is going down and the soil is going down then then the company's own crypto blockchain will actually decrease in value or something so you could set in certain punishments that trigger mm -hmm. in and so the, the that organization has a built-in incentive structure to try and increase you know the amount of trees or the amount of soil or the amount yeah, of water. Yeah, I think we're at the beginning stages of rethinking what 
what profit means, what value means. Um, so we have, you know, these decentralized autonomous organizations, which is basically, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, think of a company um, with a board of directors that's um, shared amongst all of the participants. So it's a much more flat organization and it's a digital organization. So you can do voting, you can be doing treasury management, um, you could be doing uh, NFT plugins. So I think how we do business, you know, what is our business? The business of, of, of earth regeneration is, is the business that we all need to be in. Um, so for example, how to create more sovereign autonomous communities so that they don't need to look for outside investment to come in because the ingredients are already there. It's just we need a catalyst to unlock that liquidity. So if we look at um, how do plants get nutrients from the soil, there is a bacteria that turns the physical mineral into a soluble a soluble form. So we need to have, so think of a blockchain as kind of like a bacteria that's able to take these um, non-fungible resources and make them fungible. And by fungibility, it just means the ability to move between systems. So if you have mineral in a rock, but it needs to turn into, um, you know, plant food, going through that alchemical process is kind of what this whole blockchain business is about. Mm. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Because right. Cause, so what if we're if we're talking about DeFi, decentralized finance? What we're actually talking about is liquidity pools, and a liquidity pool is basically two or more tokens put into a uh, a basket. So if I have one token and I want to exchange it for another token, instead of going um, to a counter and, and you know over the counter is like you go up to like a cashier window and you say, hi, I'd like to change my dollars for euros. And the person, you know, looks at their thing and does a, does their process and then hands you the euros outside. Versus an automated liquidity pool, the software is running, the, the smart contracts are running that operation. Now we could take kind of this metaphor of a liquidity pool in finance and we can translate it into a literal liquidity pool of say water retention or a reservoir and if the reservoir goes down too low, then it becomes critical. So we almost want to keep, we can, we can use like water, water design to say, well, instead of having one big pool and if the dam breaks and we're all screwed, we actually want to decentralize liquidity pools and have multiple liquidity pools, both in our financialization as well as in our physical landscapes. Mm. So going back to Brock Dolman's, um, do you want to, do you want to do it? Sink it. Uh, <laughs> spread it, slow it, <laughs> slow it, spread it, sink it, store it, share it, hop it. Yeah, hop it, hop it, and cycle it. Cycle it. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. So I think we can use patterns from nature, and we can apply those patterns to our financial systems. And I think that is a key component of regenerative finance. And we could do regenerative finance in an analog way where we're actually like physically taking notes and maybe we put it up on a big board in the community square and everybody like triple duplicate like, but no, we have these tools now. We need to figure out how to, how to use these distributed ledgers and these smart contracts and these decentralized forms of governance and tokenization. 
<laughs> yeah, so you, you mentioned um, the different liquidity pools. So that actually gives a bit more autonomous and resilience to the system so exactly. that it can balance out. And there's also uh, something else is that one of the problems with capitalism is that we focus so much just on one vector, the, the money, and so everything is calculated on that one vector, but we don't take into account, so that's the GDP, but we don't necessarily take into account, you know, some other metrics like yes. happiness metrics. So there's, you know, how sick are, uh, are people or how, um, you know, how happy are they with work? And so there's all these other metrics, but the blockchain actually allows opportunities to actually link up a lot of these different metrics. So that doesn't have to be, we're purely focused in economic systems is purely focused on one number because we, yeah. now we can actually hook in other vectors into it. So basically, if it is like, you know, how rehydrated your landscape in that, that vector can be hooked up to the monetary aspect so that a company could decrease it in value if it's not also making sure that, you know, if Walmart and Target and all these other companies, when they go into an area and the landscape becomes more dehydrated and deforested, well, they could lose up. If you tie in these Oh yeah, the reason why why it's everyday low prices at Walmart is because all of those destructive, degenerative effects have been externalized outside of that price. Right. So what? Um, because we are actually very wealthy. We're very rich in terms of human uh, cultural <clears throat> capital, you know, experiential capital, spiritual capital, all of these things. But we don't have a really good way to make those plants soluble. We don't have a good way to access that across networks across physical spaces. And that is where ReFi comes in. Thank you for listening to our interview with Antonio Paglino. We hope you enjoyed it. See you next week. <laughs>